Good evening. My name is Vivian Fisher, and I'm the manager of the African American Department here at the Central Library. And on behalf of Dr. Hayden, the boards, and the staff of Ena Pratt Free Library, we welcome each and every one of you to, again, another one of our author programs. This evening, you have a treat. It is my pleasure to introduce to you Deborah Owens, who is the wealth coach on My Generation TV, which airs nationally on PBS, and she is a money columnist for New York Times best-selling author, Bishop T. Jacobs, Jakes. Jake's website um, at www.tgjakes.com. Her financial fitness column appears in Sense Magazine and American Airlines Publication. She is also a host of Wealthy Lifestyles, a personal finance talk show, which airs on NPR affiliate WEAA 88.9 FM in Baltimore. Deborah is a 20-year veteran and former vice president of the financial services industry and is on a mission to engage, enlighten, and equip her audience with knowledge on achieving financial goals through radio talk shows, speaking engagements, columns, and books. She is also the CEO of Owens Media Group, and she has received praise from people such as T.D. Jakes, who has said about Deborah that her message of financial empowerment is critical in today's society. Deborah has also been, um, it's also been said about Deborah that she is not only incredibly knowledgeable, she has that uncanny ability to make everyone in the audience feel that she has a personal relationship with them, and they are very important to her. She is star quality, and I am convinced that someday we will be saying, I knew her when, and this was by Janet Wingfield. Without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce to you and present to you Deborah Owens. Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, let me just thank the Enoch Pratt Library. They've been such a, a supporter of me and uh, my books, and uh, it is always a pleasure to be in this his historic building. Would you agree? And I want to also thank uh, every, my team who's with me. Uh, Dion McMillian is my uh, producer of Wealthy Lifestyles, and so if you ever have any kind of topics or interest that you think we should um, shed some light on, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Norvell Jackson, who is uh, the development director at WEAA 88.9 FM, uh, is also here, and uh, they, um, you know, it is through radio that we've had the opportunity to really get our message out, and the message really is about building wealth and the fact that anyone can do that. And so I just want to, um, uh, you know, thank them because they're part of the team. This really is about, this is not about me, and so that's really what I want all of you to understand. Um, this really is about the fact that we're all going through a whole shift in this thing called the economy. Would you agree? I mean, you know, the days of working for one employer and, you know, receiving a pension plan at the end of that rainbow are basically gone. 
And so it's, it's, it's having a fundamental impact on how we see ourselves out here in the marketplace and you know, how we view what our future is. And, you know, what I would say to anyone sitting in this room right now today is that I am very optimistic about the future. But in that optimism, one of the things that I clearly understand is the way we think about money, earning an income, and a job has to change. And so, yes, you're here, and this is my book called A Purse of Your Own, An Easy Guide to Financial Security. But what I want to share with you this evening is that everything I'm talking about is really universal. It doesn't matter if you're female or male. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter if you're Hispanic or uh, 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 African-American. Because the fact of the matter is that money is green, right? But even more important than that, the, the concept that I want to convey to everyone sitting in this room right now is it is important that we make a shift, and that shift is from earning an income to building wealth. Are you with me? And so that's really what I want to have a conversation about this evening because I think it is imperative that everyone sitting in this room conveys this message to their children, okay, to their family, okay, to their um, uh, um, in, in their workplace so that we're not all angst around what are we going to do, what are we going to do, what, what are we going to do. And if you look in the media, I mean, that's basically what we're hearing day in and day out. You know, the sky is falling, and how are any of us going to, what do any of us have uh, to look forward to, okay? You know, you hear about the banks and, you know, people getting all these bonuses and people laying off and uh, getting laid off uh, jobs. I, I don't know about you, but I can count it, in, in my personal family, um, you know, someone who's been impacted about uh, by this economy, right? You, you probably have a family member or someone you know who recently has had to find another career or reinvent themselves, right? And so... What I want to convey to you and what I conveyed in this book really is it's not about income, it's about wealth. You know, this is my third book. The first book was Confident Investing, a Wealth-Building Guide for Women. Similar topic, okay? But there it was all about the mechanics of, you know, that you can invest in the stock market and how you do it and all of these other different things. The next book, Nickel and Dime Your Way to Wealth, really was about the message of, you know, I've been there, I've seen the promised land, and guess what? Anybody can do it. It's not a, you don't need an MBA in finance. But about uh, probably five years ago, my whole thinking about money and, and income changed. And it really was as the result of me going back to school and getting a graduate degree. And as I was taking all of these different classes around 
you know, companies and business strategy and all these different um, um, topics around building wealth and how wealth is built over time, I began to see, wow, this whole economy is changing. You know, books like uh, Good to Great, which talked about some of the the companies and, and, and their attributes that made them great companies. Guess what companies were in that book? Wells Fargo, Fannie Mae. You know, all of the companies that got into trouble. By the way, that same author, uh, Jim Collins, now has Why the Great Fall, okay? And then I began to read, uh, uh, have discussions around books like um, The World is Flat and globalization and how it's going to fundamentally change our economy and how we think about the world of work. And then as I began to reflect on my career and what are the different behaviors and attitudes that people who are successful, how they experience financial independence, what do they do that other people don't. And you know what I came to understand? Is that wealthy people think differently than working people. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm here to, 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 to tell you this evening, to share with you this evening, is when I look back throughout my career, of all the people that I worked with, encountered, counseled, advised, and began to look at what were some of the com- some of the common traits that they had that the average person doesn't. It really began to meld with this whole study of business and how businesses build wealth. And so, what I had to begin to think about is, wow, you know, as individuals, we're going to have to think about ourselves like a business. Okay, so what do I mean about that? What I mean is that at the end of the day, all of us are here, right? And we come here with some very unique gifts and talents, all right? And throughout our lives, people tell us what those gifts and talents are. Okay, and for many of us, we don't even realize it is a gifted or talent because we think everyone has it too. Okay, and so how does that relate to business when I'm talking about gifts and talents? If you think about businesses that have withstood the test of time, they learn how to do something really, really well. Okay. And they attract people with the talents that can do those things really, really well. And that's what they do. They add value to people, right? So let me give you an example of what I I mean. And I don't want to digress off of our topic this evening, but I want you to think for a minute. What does Disney do? What is it really, really good at? Making movies, that's right. But at the core of Disney, what is its unique entertainment, right? 
It creates an experience that is so memorable that people spend thousands and thousands of dollars to, to go to Disneyland or to go to a Disney movie or whatever. Okay, so let me put that in a personal context. So the reason why it's important for us to think like a business is because we now have to figure out what we do really, really well and how we can add value. And that's the first observation that I had of my clients and how they think about wealth or income versus working people, okay? So the first habit that I discuss in this book about wealthy women is wealthy people have a wealthy outlook, okay? And they understand that the end of the day, their ability to sustain themselves will be by adding value. Okay. So it's that, it's that basic tenet, you know, what your, what your grandma or your ma used to tell you to do more than what's expected of you to go that extra mile. That's where I'm going with adding value. Okay. That in fact is how Disney creates that unique experience as well. Okay. When you go to Disney, you don't see trash. Okay. What do they call you? They call, what do they call you? Your guest, right? And so they go the extra mile. So at the heart, at at, at the, the heart of wealth really is in giving. Okay. So, you know, I, I can remember, um, you know, when you'd read the Bible and the Bible, you know, you'd read that verse and it would say, it really is better to give than receive. You know, I never got that until I began to think about, okay, you know, the, the wealthiest people in the world are the most generous people in the world. And do you know why that is? Well, not only is it reciprocity, but When you add value, and I'm going to the next habit now. When you add value in a unique way to others, they want to give to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when I looked at all of the wealthy people that I had encountered in my career, that's one of the other habits they had. They had the habit of they understood how they added value uniquely and they were able to create a wealthy vision for themselves. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that, so if I put it in a business context, that's exactly what businesses do. It's their comparative advantage. It's how they do things differently and how they stand out. So the other thing I want to say to you about this whole body of work in the new book, A Purse of Your Own, is that wealth is not, is not only a function of you understanding that it is in giving that you receive, but it's also a function of, of you understanding what you do uniquely, okay? What is your comparative advantage, okay? What is, what is it that you do, or what, what is it that you're willing to do and be excellent at, okay? And if you're willing to become excellent 
at a vocation that adds value to others, that is the secret to building wealth. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when I say that working people think differently than wealthy people, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the days of working, getting a paycheck, spending it, and having nothing left over are gone. All right? So now you're saying, well, if I don't do that, what do I do? So what we have to do, people, is we have to begin to think about those things that we do really, really well. You know, our parents, what did they tell us? They told us, go to school, get a good job, you know, get an education, go work in a corporation. And guess what? How's that working for you? (laughs) Most people are miserable, right? Because they go into these organizations and they begin to do whatever they're told to do and, and rather than do what they're good at. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? So what, what I'm saying to you this evening is that not only do wealthy people have a wealthy outlook and understand that at the end of the day is adding value. That's habit number one. Number two, they ad- identify their strengths and their skill sets. And then they begin to figure out how they can use them un- uniquely to add value to others. And guess what? When you figure out how to do something really, really well, people then want to pay you a lot of money for it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So in this new world of work that we're in, we've got to hone our skill sets so that we can then take them and market them to different organizations as opposed to being just in one because we never know what's going to happen to an organization, right? Okay, now, some of you are sitting in this room and probably saying, well, what does that mean for me? I work, I work for Enoch Pratt or I work in an organization. Then we all have to become, not all of us are entrepreneurs. Do you understand what I'm saying? Where we have the skill set through which we can build a great um, uh, institution, if you will, and employ a lot of people. For many of us, what is required is that we become entrepreneurs, okay, within our organizations. Now, what do I mean by that? You know, there are a lot of you sitting in here, and you may have been with an organization for 10, you know, 5, 10 years, 20 years, and you're wondering, you know, you hit that ceiling, and you wonder why you never go any further, okay? And so you're in this organization, so you look up, and then this little whippersnapper is hired, and they come in, and, you know, they're the go-to person. They're the person that's always there early, and they, they, if there's a problem, they're solving the problem, right? And then the next thing you know, you're training that person, right? But they're not going to take your job. They're going to now be supervising you, all right? So what happened? That person had a wealthy mindset, okay? And that's the next habit that I identify in the attributes that wealthy people have. Wealthy people look at problems as opportunities at every level, okay? 
So a person with a wealthy mindset is within an organization. And you know, if you're ever complaining about anything, what I would challenge you to do is figure out how you can solve that problem is what is the solution. And when you become that go-to person, that person who's always solving problems, guess what happens? You continue to get promoted. You are valued in that organization as someone who adds value and who does what, who deserves more responsibility. And isn't that the person that generally goes up and next thing you know, in a few years, they're running things. That's how wealthy people think. If I were to put it in the context of clients that I advised or how wealthy people around me built wealth, when the market went down, what do you think the average person does? Market goes down, it's a calamity. What's the first thing you want to do? Sell, right? Wealthy people don't do that. You know, I can recall my first job as a sales assistant, and I talk about it in my book. I got a job at Merle Lynch, and they didn't even have, really have a role for me, so they made me the receptionist, right? So I, you know, I couldn't believe it. I was like giving stock quotes to millionaires, and then I started reading the Wall Street Journal, and I was like, wow, this really isn't that complicated. You know, I lived in Michigan, so a lot of the stocks that people own were Ford, GM, you know, so I was giving quotes, and, you know, I was watching the stocks go up and down and up and down. Well, you know, a few short weeks after that, the branch manager came out, and he said, you know what, it's clearly you're overqualified for this position. Well, how would you like to get your broker's license? So I, I, you know, I got promoted. I became an assistant to other brokers. And then um, I had the good fortune of there being a woman who I talk about in this book who became my mentor and really whose life I patterned my own career after. Well, to make a long story short, in that office there was the head, one of the top producing brokers, right? And, I mean, he would have lines going out of the office. And he was investing in these high-tech stocks at the time. This is in the early 80s. Of course, I was 12 at the time. But anyway, <laughs> you know, stocks like Seagate Technology and um, trying to think of some of the other disc makers that were, you know, Apple had just come out with the um, personal computer. I, I forget what they call it. And um, so people are lined up, and the stock market is going up and up and up and up. And uh, I'm watching the veteran brokers, though. They're not, they're not buying. They're not buying. They're buying. They're buying Procter and Gamble. They're buying all of the blue chips. They are not buying those high-flying stocks. Well, sure enough, the market tumbles. This is 1983. I mean, same kind of deal, right? Implode. Stocks implode. Um, and then those veteran brokers, what do you think they start doing? They started buying because not only did the stocks fall that were high tech, but also the very conservative stocks fell too. That taught me a very good lesson. Okay. Wealthy people do the opposite of what most people do. Okay. The fact of the matter is when home prices were at their highest point, everybody wanted to buy, didn't they? Okay. Okay. Now, Home prices are down, right? Okay, so 
When is, what do you think wealthy people are doing? True story. Um, my husband and I, and by the way, I did not introduce you. Shame on me, Terry. Actually, the, the, the captain of the team, my husband, Terry Owens, I, I, you know, I was going through this introduction, but anyway. So Terry and I are both from Detroit originally. A lot of people don't know that. And in Detroit, there are homes going for $5,000. I'm talking beautiful homes. I mean, you know, some of them are homes that, you know, they're going to take a lot of renovation because they're older homes, okay? But what do you, who do you think is buying in Detroit right now? Wealthy people and people from all over the world, from Asia, from, from Europe, are coming in there buying. And so am I telling you you need to run out and become a buyer or a seller? I'm, I just want you to understand the concept, okay? So what I'm talking about in a purse of your own is the fact that we have to shift. We have to begin to think differently about our monies, about our money, and about work. And about income, okay? Wealthy people, true story. Wealthy people, when they make a decision about money, they decide whether or not it's going to add value on their personal financial statement. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if you're thinking about whether you should Take your money and purchase anything. You need to figure out whether it's increasing your net worth or decreasing or, or increasing or decreasing your net worth. And you just from that one fundamental thing, you will begin to make decisions around how you spend your money differently. Do you agree? Okay, so what is one of the probably most expensive purchases other than our homes that people make? Cars, right? Right, but but how do they sell cars to us? Yeah, they finance them, and it's always that monthly payment, right? Whereas if you really think about it, if you bought that car and you drove it off the lot, what happens? It depreciates. So is it adding? So I'm not telling you that people don't need to buy cars. That's not my message here, Okay. But what I'm telling you is you have to begin to think about the decisions that you make with your money on whether or not it's moving you ahead or behind. And just that one concept itself, applying it to everything, just about everything you do, is going to make you make different choices about the resources that you have. Because isn't it a fact, all, everyone in here has resources, right? Okay. But the fact of the matter is, what are you doing with those resources? So what I share in my book is the the framework of the seven wealthy habits and how if adopting those same habits, because that's all they are, they're habits and behavior. You know, I tried to make this book fun because I didn't want it to be another one of those books that you pick up and you're just like, oh, my God, I don't even understand what I just read, right? Basically, within this book, are, are women from all walks of life, housewives, corporate executives, who decided that they were going to take control of their finances and become empowered. And what I'm saying to anyone sitting in this room is, 
anyone sitting in this room, and I truly believe this, has the ability to achieve financial independence, but it's going to take some work. Are you with me? Because the fact of the matter is, in this larger society that we live in, they have made it really easy for us all to be poor. Would you agree? We have more access to our money than ever before. ATMs, right? Credit cards. And so a lot of what is happening to us is we are being controlled by marketers, okay? And so our decisions are not about what's good or bad for us. They're just about how we're feeling, okay? And so what I have come to understand is I can write everything in this book that it has taken me 25 years to learn. And do you know what? You can read every one of these pages. And do you know that most of you, after you read this book, if you read half of it, you know what you're going to do? Absolutely nothing different. So, what we decided to do is to put our money where our mouths are. And we are on a campaign to engage, enlighten, and equip one million women. Why women? Why women? Because, you know, true story, millionaire next door. If you look at what behind every millionaire in that study, you know what there was? There was a woman managing the finances of that household and the resources that I'm talking about, all right, that allowed them to achieve financial independence. So what I want to say to the fellas in here, okay, it's Valentine's Day, right? And so probably the best gift you could give your woman is an autographed copy of a purse of your own. (laughs) And do you know why? Because the fact of the matter is, is women, you know, my pastor likes to say this. He says, you know, men are the head of the household, but women are the net. Meaning, you know, we can influence a man wrongly or rightly. And so as it relates to personal finances, when it comes to a family, a woman who does not know how to manage finances, it will be to the detriment of her family. So, I mean, you know, we, we, we carry these myths around as if, you know, the, the, the husband controls the, the household when in fact... A woman, in most cases, is the CEO of that household, is influencing and impacted how those resources are spent, okay? So behind every millionaire is a very financially sophisticated woman with financial acumen. Are you with me? Okay, so back to this campaign. So I just wanted to make that. I get this question every, well, why is it just for women? Well, here's why. 
You know, people ask me where the title, A Purse of Your Own, came from. And so I think it's important that I help you to understand why this is not about selling books, okay? It's personal for me. And what I mean by that, you know, I tell the story in the book. um, You know, I was 18 years old, and my parents had at that point been married for 33 years. And uh, they moved uh, away to Hawaii when I uh, uh, first went to college in my freshman year, and I soon followed them. I mean, what's not to like about Hawaii? But they separated at that point. And when my parents separated, I can remember being 18. I can remember like it was yesterday. I can remember being 18 years old and really seeing my mother's lifestyle change significantly from middle income to, you know, just above poverty. I mean, my father now had to take care of two households. And um, I can remember thinking when that happened, I said, I will always have a purse of my own. Okay, so, so that's my personal story. But I bet you every woman or man in here has a personal story. Because my mother is not. She's not. She is not the exception. She's the rule. Women make up 70% of the elderly poor. And you see her every day. You go into any discount store, you know, you go into any, um, you know, uh, a fast food restaurant, and you see a woman in, that, in there working at 65, 70 years old. Why do you think she's there? Why? Because she wants to, you know, get out and socialize? No. She's surviving off of a Social Security check, which at my last count, the average Social Security check is about $800 a month. So she's not just that person that you don't know. She's, she's your mother, like she's your aunt, she's your sister. Okay, so I wanted you to understand why it's personal for me, but not only is it personal for me, but, you know, we continue to perpetuate this state of economic being, which to me is, it's, it's, it's enough, enough of this, okay? Now, women are making more money than ever. At last count, it was about $1 trillion aggregately. Uh, if any of you saw the recent um, article in the New York Times, Pew Research, talked about the fact that women are, uh, men are marrying wealthier women, and the fact that women, 38% of women out, are out-earning their husband. But the, the and, and, and this is why I think this is critical for every woman in here and every man to understand, is that may be true, that she is earning more, but that woman more than likely does not understand the difference between wealth and income. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and this is why I know it to be true. Many of us are, for whatever reason, you know, we have two children. One just graduated from the University of Maryland. One is on her way and a senior. And what many of women in particular do is they choose that four-year fully funded college education for their children. They want to create this nirvana. 
and they began to take out school loans in their names and then the next thing you know, what, 10 years have passed by, and then that child is out of school, and then they've put nothing in their retirement plan, okay? True story. Woman called me, broke my, well, actually a couple called me about 10 years ago, broke my heart. Would you come see me, Miss Owens? I, don't, I haven't advised in years. I went out to see them, and they showed me all of their credit cards and all of their statements, they have put two children through college, and they have racked up all this debt. They had no retirement, okay? So why is this important? to? Why, why am I talking about this right now? I'm, we got to have a frank conversation. If it's between your retirement and your child's college education, what are you going to do? What are most of you going to do? Tell the truth. What are you going to do? <laughs> okay, so I'm going to ask you the question is, can you take out a loan for retirement? No. Okay. So the fact of the matter is we have to begin having some very frank conversations with our children about what a college education requires and what it means and the responsibility, Okay. A four-year college league, Ivy College League uh, 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 education begins in kindergarten. And guess when it begins? With your academic record and your merit. I mean, the fact of the matter is, ladies, far too many of us are sacrificing our financial future for our children. And what I would say to you unequivocally the best thing you can do for your children, what do you think that is? Teach them how to make their own money. Now, I, hallelujah, I'm with you there because I won't. Okay, I'm not going to bring Brandon up tonight because he's been getting too much press, my son. But let's just say that he just got a final offer, and I'm truly happy about it for a full-time job. It's all good, Right. <laughs> But not only that, but the best thing you can do is not be a financial burden on your children once you do retire. Does that, does that make sense? And so what the Power of the Purse campaign is about, it's about two things. It's about collaboration. You know, one of the things that I know about women is we like to do things together. Okay. So what we've done is taken a book club and an investment club, it kind of made it a hybrid. And so what we're encouraging women to do is to, to join the Power of the Purse campaign and to take this journey to financial empowerment together. And so when we talk about engagement, that's what I'm doing right now, engaging you in a conversation around why this is critically important for women, okay? We're enlightening you, okay, with the information that can assist you in becoming financial literate, because this is what this is about. This is not about people not having money. This is about people not knowing what the right choices are to make, right? And lastly, we're talking about support, because studies have shown that any challenging goal that has more success, whether it be Weight Watchers, why do you think they have support groups? You have accountability, right? When you have others who are in this journey with you together.
And so the power of the purse campaign, uh, financially empowering, I say one million women, but we, we really believe this can be bigger than that, millions of women. Okay, is about you joining the power of the purse campaign. You can go to my website, DeborahOwens.com. You can join the purse group. There's no cost for it. There's a free chapter, a, a free uh, copy of chapter 10 in this book, which is called Sisterhood of the Purses, the power of the purse. And there, there, here's the other thing. I cannot get off of my soapbox before I, without saying this. The, the fact of the matter is, ladies, we have power in our purses, okay? We influence 90% of all the buying decisions in households. We're earning degrees at a fast, advanced degrees at a higher rate than our counterparts. We're making more money than ever before. We're starting businesses. We will be responsible for creating more than 18 million jobs in the next century. So that's power, all right? But here's the other thing I understand. That as women, even when we start businesses, you know, I did a, a seminar called The Seven Wealthy Habits of Successful Entrepreneurs. And I mean, these are women, these are powerful women. These women have revenues of 12, 15 million. And I'm thinking, well, wow, you know, they must have it together. What am I doing here, right? So I'm talking about different things that they should be doing around their retirement and do they have, you know, if they're a solo business, should they have, do they have a, a 401k or do they have a retirement plan for their, um, uh, themselves and their employees? And then one woman said to me, and I couldn't believe it. She says, well, I don't know. I don't want to make any more too much money because then I'm just going to have to pay taxes. And I thought to her, You do what? You got a $12 million pharmaceutical business? And when I began to explain to her how it works, how her, the business can put money away on her behalf and how there are defined benefits and defined contribution and all different kinds of things that she could do, you know, shortly after, two weeks later, she uh, sent me an email and she says, oh, I was in your workshop. I'm so glad I finally got with my account. He told me exactly what I was wanting. So, so what I'm conveying to you here is that we are where we are financially, not from a sense of lack, okay? Not because we don't have the resources. It's just that we don't know how to manage those resources, okay? So, ladies, there are more, and here's the other point I want. More money will not solve your problem. Many of you are sitting here and you're thinking, is she out of her mind? <laughs> but I, what, I will what I will say to you, if you don't ha know how to manage what you have, if you, don't, if you get more, what are you going to do with that? So um, the power of the purse campaign is about knowledge. It's about managing your resources, but more importantly, it's about empowerment, okay? And why is it about empowerment? It's about empowerment because every person that took an, an arm loan, that made some bad decisions with their finances, 
Why did they make those decisions? Was it because they didn't know any better? I would submit to you, yes. I will say that, yes, you didn't know any better. You didn't read the fine print. Every, every, remember I talk about wealthy people, what they do versus what working people do? The complete opposite. And so if you have knowledge, knowledge is power. Do you agree? And so that's what I'm talking about with the power of the person. I'm talking about knowledge. Um, if you sign up on my purse group website, uh, it's uh, a purse of your own dot dot com. You can just go, go to my website, com and click on purse group. Um, all kind of resources there. Um, you'll see, you know, I'm speaking at different places, uh, all of the events, the different seminars that are going on, the book signings, those will be there too. I'm encourage you in the last chapter of this book, The Sisterhood of the Purses, I detail it, how to send out an invitation. You know, I say eight to ten women. It doesn't have to be eight to ten. It could be four. I know that if you're supported and if you find other women with like minds who want to achieve financial independence, that you will go much further together than you, you ever will on your own. And I'm with this, I'm, I'm, I'm in this with you. I mean, I'm posting all I'm writing, uh, at least quarterly and since magazine, I'm writing probably everywhere now business, uh, foxbusinessnews.com. You, you, you see me a number of different venues, just conveying this message about wealth and the fact that we can do this. Nobody's going to do this for us, you know. Healthcare, I say the greatest healthcare plan is us taking care of our health and watching how how we we and taking care of ourselves. Okay? So if we're looking for an economic stimulus plan for all of us, I would say we better create that economic stimulus plan for ourselves. Do you agree? So I'm going to leave you with a couple of uh things and then I'll take your questions um is the world, according to Deborah. First thing, we must become lifelong learners. Yes. We must, okay? If you got a degree 20 years ago, I'm going to tell you, it's probably outdated. Do you need to go back and get a four-year degree? Not necessarily, Okay. But you can get certification. You can learn something new. You've got to learn something more to make yourself more valuable to others. Are you with me? Yes. You are. You know, my, uh, my daughter heard this um, slogan the other day. You're known by the company you keep. I think that's New York Life. But she thought that was so cool. She was like, yeah, I like that. You're known by the company. That's true. I said, you know what? That is true. So the other thing is, if you don't know how to do it, go find someone who's doing what you want to do and offer to, to assist them or help them, you know, be an apprentice. I mean, my first uh, job, as, uh, as I told you, in that brokerage firm was because I saw this powerful five-foot, 100-pound African-American woman, and she was an account executive, and she was the first woman I had ever encountered who made more than six figures, and that was more than 25 years ago. And she took an interest in me 
and changed my whole life. And it's why I'm standing in front of you, in front of you today. Okay. So learn something new, find a mentor. And the other thing I'm going to say, think about what you can do for others. I mean, that truly is the secret to, to building wealth. You know, the last habit in, um, in the seven wealthy habits is a wealthy legacy. Okay. So pay it forward. All right. Do, you know, my wish is to do something of significance that I can be remembered by. And so leave a legacy for our daughters, for our sons, because they're watching everything we do. And so I'll leave you with this. You know, I told my my son Brandon, our eldest child, I said, you know, you look at the life of uh, that you're living, and you could probably think this is easy. It's not easy. My uh, husband's mother was a domestic. My mother did not complete, got married before she completed high school. And so it is through their wish for us that we, I think, both have great work ethics, that we... Um, you know, we strive to, to, to do more and to, to see how we can assist others. And so what I said to my son, I said, you know, it's very easy to look at this, your life and your parents as if this is easy. But you know what? Now it's time for us to pass the baton. So it's time for you to take it up a notch and do something of great significance as well. So I'm going to leave you with that. Uh, and just thank all of you for coming out to tonight. And uh, I think you have some questions that people put in there. So we're talking about wealthy habits. We're talking about bad habits with money. And so some of you put them in this box. And I'm going to get to talk about y'all. All right. Okay, here it is. Uh, Living on one quarter of my weekly pay because child support takes three quarters. If my pay every single pay, three quarters of my pay every single pay period, I'm living place to place trying to maintain at which I appeal the decision. They denied it saying, stay homeless. We don't care. Um, you know, if you're in this room before I leave today, I'd like to chat with you because, um, you know, that's happening to a lot of men. Uh, the fact of the matter is how can you take care of your children if you can't take care of yourself? And so, um, this isn't a bad habit. This is bad circumstances. And so there's got to be some way that, um, we can help them. So honey, we get to help him. All right. He says, no, that sounds like something for me. Anyway. <laughs> oh, how do you tell your mate you will not help him pay his date? Now, that, that's a great question. Now, um, that's why you need a person. No, just kidding. <laughs> now, the fact of the matter is, um, I think Probably the most difficult things for couples to talk about is money. And, um, 
you know, uh, I've been married for 20 some odd years. And uh, I think from the time we, you know, very shortly after we became a couple, everything went into one pot and it's pretty much handled it. That's how we've handled our money for our entire um, marriage. And yet, um, I think what you need to do is not just tell your mate you won't pay his debt, but I think you got to have a meeting and you got to say, hey, I'm not going to pay your debt because I didn't make this debt, but let's figure out a way that we can help you get out of it. I think so often, you know, it's very easy to say what you won't do in a relationship. Uh, But the fact of the matter is, if it's a relationship, even when it comes to money, you got to, uh, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. I don't think it's your, your, um, that you are responsible for paying debt, but I do think that if you're a partnership that you gotta, you gotta figure out how you can do best as a couple and, um, figure out how to help him pay the debt off. But I don't, I don't believe it's your responsibility. So was that it? Just only two takers? Wow. Yeah, I think it was that bad habits. Nobody wants to talk about money, do they? Sure. Um, since October, I've been writing down all my income and expenses in the book. But I see, I see myself in a cycle of just paying bills and not saving. Um, but I also feel it's important just to go ahead and pay those bills and get it over with so I don't have so you know, that's a great, um, so I'm sorry, go ahead. So what would you suggest? But I did create a little envelope for myself on my vacation. So every week I put aside, every time I get paid, I put aside $20 towards vacation, which is something I never did before. That's excellent. In fact, that's one of the exercises I really encourage you to do in my book. And in fact, we have purse journals and purse diaries, a personal money diary, very similar to a food diary so that you could get underneath where your money's going and what you're spending your money on. Couple of things. So first you got to figure out how much money you got coming in, right? Then you're figuring out how much money you got going out. And then you either have money left over or you don't, right? So there are only two things you can do in that example, right? You either have to cut expenses, right? Or you need to make more money. So your question is, how do I develop the habit of savings? Because after everything goes out, I don't have anything left over. You got to flip the script. Just like you put $20 on the table for that, you got to put, I don't care if it's $10, okay? It doesn't matter what the amount is. The amount, the, the, the fact of the matter is, It's developing the habit. That's what we're talking about, right? So you got to pay yourself just like you pay a bill. Okay? Now, you you know you can pay your bills, right? Right? So a couple of suggestions I have for that. The envelope is wonderful, but if you work for an employer or if you have a bank account where you can have, find out whatever the minimum is that they will allow you to automatically draft from your account and have it automatically drafted into a savings account. 
and make a commitment that you're not going to use that and only in the case of the emergency. Here's why it's so important to have an emergency fund. When you don't have an emergency fund, the car breaks, the refrigerator breaks down, what do you do? Right, you borrow money or you put it on the credit card, right? And so then the credit cards continue to go up because you didn't have, that's why the habit of savings is so important. So, good question. Any other questions? Years ago, years ago, when I would spend a dollar or any kind of paper money, I would put the coins, I would have four jars, put pennies, quarters, dimes, and nickels in. I did that for years, and my family members caught wind up, and they started laughing at me. And I said, well, I took $500 to the bank of quarters. And they, I said, when I look at that bank statement, I don't see $500 quarters. I see $500. I could do what I want with So that's how I started learning how to save money. That's, you know what? Thank you for that. What's your name? So did you hear that? Let me repeat that because this is being podcast. Uh, One of the ideas around saving for uh, developing the habit of saving was just saving your change and putting it in four jars is what you said, pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters, and developing that habit of saving and you know, we, we, half of that money ends up in the couch or who knows where it ends up, right? That's a great way to develop the habit of saving. And you said you ended up with, you took $500 to the bank. Well, that's great. See, we got to inspire others to, uh, to, to save. That's a, that's a great idea. Well, you know what? It's interesting you say that because that's what I mean about power. It's about knowing how the tax system works. We're not going to change the tax structure, you know, but within it, we can become more knowledgeable about how taxes work and how we can, um, how we can save on taxes, right? And so let's talk about the, how the, the wealthy people think versus working people. You know, probably, uh, you make a lot of money, you pick, you get W-2 income, what do they do? They take taxes out right away. Whereas wealthy people, what many of them have is businesses, right? And then those businesses, then they're able to write off any expenses associated with that business, whether it be their travel expenses, their dinner, and that sort of thing. So a couple of things that uh, you you I would suggest that you do. Don't try to change the tax system because the likely of you having that kind of influence is slim to none. But learn how to work within that system, okay? And what are some of the things that you can do? You could start your own um, uh, side business. I think it's important that we all have several different streams of income so that we're not dependent on one. Just having a business that allows you to uh, earn an income that is uh, not uh, that that is paid directly to a, a business, whether it be self-employed or 1099, allows you to write off some of those expenses associated with your business 
prior to you having to claim the income? So, so great question. Anybody else? Question? I have the privilege and honor to work um, in a church uh, that had the, um, the family of the Bogles. And so I cracked open a book called Bogleheads to figure out about investing. And there was an open introduction uh, story about somebody who had made $25,000 a year and invested every month, and by the time he retired, was a millionaire. And the emphasis of the story was um, if he had started 20 years later into his career, he would have made half that amount by the time he retired. And they said that he would have to set aside $600 a month and invest that in order to make a million dollars. Could you explain the math behind this? Because it seems mind-boggling. Oh, that's good. I'm so glad you asked that question. Let me repeat, because you're not picking her question up, are you? Okay, so let me repeat the question that was just asked. She said that she had the good fortune of working in the church where, that's John Bogle, Vanguard? Jack Bogle, who started Vanguard. Yes, yes, okay, excellent, yeah. Uh, who started Vanguard Funds right in Pennsylvania. In fact, I love index funds, so we won't get into that conversation this evening. But at any rate, so what she's saying is she read a book about a man who only made $25,000. Sounds like my Mr. Earl story, doesn't it? $25,000. He invested over how long? Over the course of his whole life, from the time he started working until he retired, and he, he retired a millionaire. And he retired a millionaire, okay? So from the time he started working until he retired, he retired a millionaire. Whereas in the book it said that if he had started 20 years later, right, and he had invested almost double what he had invested over time, that he would only end up with half as much. And the principle behind that is the time value of money, okay? And the power of compounding, okay? That is the secret to building wealth. And why I said it really doesn't matter how much, what is important is that you do it consistently over time. And I'll, I'll tell, show you, uh, um, I'll try to illustrate this, okay, using the rule of 72, okay? So the rule of 72 says that take any amount of interest that you earn, okay, and divide it into the number 72, and it'll tell you how long it'll take your money to double, okay? Now, this is very difficult to do when I don't have, like, a, 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 a chart or anything up here. But think about this. So let's say I, um, I've got $10,000, right? And I put my money in a bank. And let's say the bank is paying 4% on a good day. I know interest rates are really low, okay? But I'm just doing this out as an illustration. Four goes into 72 how many times? 18, right? Okay, so every 18 years, your money is doubling, all right? So... You got 10,000, let's say, let's say you're 20 years old, okay? So uh, you got 10,000, 18 years later, you're how old? You're 38, right? So you have $20,000, okay? So 18 years later, that 20,000 now doubles, and you're how old? You're 56? So at 56, you have $40,000, right? Okay, now let's say you're... Um, 20 years old, you have that same $10,000, okay? But you invested in 
stocks. Okay, and let's say that over you know 40 years, over this period of time, stocks earn 12%, right? And so 12 goes into 72 how many times? Six. So now every six years your money's doubling, right? So, right? So I've got, I'm 20, I'm 20 years old, I've got $10,000, right? Six years later, I got $20,000, right? Six years later, that 20 is now $40,000. I'm 32, right? So 38, I'm, now I got $80,000. Okay, now I'm, I'm um, six years later, I'm 44, I got $160,000, okay? So the longer your money has to, the higher the return, certainly is where I'm going with this illustration, but I'm also showing you how the power of compounding works, okay? So the earlier your money can work, the, the more it can double. That's the power of compounding. And that's why if you wait, and that's why I'm, I'm so glad you asked that question, is because that's what I'm saying to you ladies. This is what happens, all right? We, 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 go out, we go to college, we get out of school, we have kids, right? Then, you know, you fight with the nanny and the babysitter. I did, and then you say, okay, I'm, you know, this, this, this work, world of work is not made for working mothers, okay? So we come out of the workforce, or either we go, we, we become teachers or whatever, and then we'll, for whatever reason, we don't invest in our retirement plan, Okay. So then it's 45 before we say, oh, my goodness, I haven't saved anything, you know? And then we start at 45 trying to catch up, okay? What I want to say to you tonight is if you're young, you've got the one thing money can't buy, and that's time, right? But what I'm saying to you, also saying to you ladies, is it's never too late. The fact of the matter is, is that many of us will live until we're 90, 100 years old. My mother's 81, okay? My father's 84. They're still living, right? So I don't care how old you are. The time to get started is now. But developing the habit of putting money away consistently, all right, over time is how you make sure you have a purse of your own. Make sense? You've been a wonderful audience. Uh, thank you so much. I'm going to be signing books. You can continue to ask questions if you would like. And would you like to? Yeah, let's give Ms. Owens a round of applause. Books are for sale in the back, and she'll be signing here at the desk. And thank you so much for that inspiring lecture.